You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Domecast. I'm Colin Campbell with the News and Observer. It's our uh, time again for our statewide look at uh, politics and government here in North Carolina. And it's essentially week two of the uh, uproar and uh, controversy over House Bill 2 and the special session that we had uh, now uh, almost, I guess, 10 days ago uh, that this was. But it's still dominating the news cycle. It's still something that we've been writing at least a couple stories and had a couple developments on just about every day. We've made national news in the last week uh, here with this uh, LGBT uh, bill that started as the bathroom bill, and and the more we look into it, it seems to go a whole lot further. So uh, lots of different uh, angles of that to dissect that uh, we didn't get to last week, or in some cases we didn't even really know about uh, last week when we did our our last edition of the podcast. Uh, So joining me in our uh, makeshift studio this week is uh, Will Doran of the News and Observer and PolitiFact North Carolina, and uh, for the first time on the podcast, uh, Andy Spay, the NNO Raleigh City Hall reporter who's been covering some of the local government uh, aspects of House Bill 2. Welcome, guys. And uh, I want to start a little bit with uh, Will. Uh, You've been fact-checking pretty extensively some of the the governor's claims uh, on this bill. He's uh, made a a number of uh, statements about what the bill does and does not do uh, in press conferences and in uh, what what he claimed was was his own fact-check that you then went and fact-checked yourself. Double fact check, I guess. Um, so, so tell us a little about some of the uh, claims and, and how they hold up uh, once you actually research them and talk to some experts. Right. Well, yeah, as you mentioned, the governor sent out an 18-point fact check of his own after some of the media blowback. Um, some points on that uh, he was correct on. Other points he was not. Uh, we rated one of them uh, false, just which is one of you know our stricter <laughs> ratings on the truthometer that we have yeah, almost effect. a pants on fire right but not quite not quite not quite it didn't go that far um but yeah no that was when he said that the law did not take away any rights that currently exist in any north carolina city and that is just false it does take away several rights that existed in north carolina cities it took away the rights of um, several cities that had had uh, rules on contractors who wanted to do business um, and receive taxpayer dollars from those cities and the cities wanted to put their own, uh, you know, uh, anti-discrimination rules on those contractors. They are no longer allowed to do that. Um, It also may have taken away the rights of cities to enforce um, anti-discrimination rules uh, for their own employees. Um, So if they have a rule that says, you know, we don't hire or fire on the basis of sexual orientation, gender identity... That may be thrown that, up potentially. Right. Uh, that is probably gone is uh, the general consensus that I got from that. It, it's probably going to be something that, you know, a judge eventually has to decide on because the rule is written very vaguely. Um, so legal that, experts are not really all in, in unison as to what it, does that means? Exactly. I, um, I, I interviewed three law professors who specialized in either discrimination law or constitutional law. Two of them said that those laws are definitely out the window. Uh, the third, who's a former dean of Duke Law School, said that uh, she does think that the cities can still uh, you know, have the rules for their own employees, but she wasn't sure because the law was so vague about it. So she said she wasn't sure if that was intentional or just as a result of the rush in which it was passed. Um, And, you know, 
Yeah, yes. I guess a lot of this comes to the fact that it was it was sort of a 12-hour cycle between when we first saw the bill and uh, when the governor signed it into law. That we, you know, the, these legal experts weren't really able to dissect it uh, until a week after. Exactly. In a sense. Exactly. I talked to one um, employment law uh, lawyer. <laughs> um, actually, I talked to several employment lawyers um, who were uh, surprised, frankly, that the law even went beyond just the um, issue of, you know, transgender people and bathrooms and anti-discrimination laws and actually erased all uh, state lawsuits for anti-discrimination cases. So if you get fired, uh, you know, for being black or for being a woman, you can no longer file a lawsuit at the state level. You have to either file a federal claim or uh file a complaint with a, a state agency, but that state agency um, doesn't actually have any enforcement powers. Um, and they said, you know, we wish that we would have known that this was going to be in the law before it happened because, you know, there was only 30 minutes for the public to comment on this law before it was voted on, and all of these lawyers had no idea the scope. Yeah, and, and the legislature does have its own lawyers, and normally they would put out a, a memo or something, or they would answer questions in the, the the hearings and the committee meetings. But in this case, there really wasn't any of that going on. Um, Precisely, it, it was it was mostly the representatives talked. The public had you know two minutes each to to jump in, and uh, then we were we were onto the floor. There was no spot for the the staff attorneys that you know make six-figure salaries over the legislature to try to pour over it and explain it to, to the legislators about what, what the impacts was going to be. Yeah, no, that, that has uh, definitely caused some consternation in some circles. Yeah, so uh, for, for someone who thinks that they've been wrongfully terminated uh, from their job and that it's, it's based on whatever sort of category that may be, so the, they now have to go through the federal system, and is that sort of a, right. a more difficult process to, to make your case and, and get some sort of uh, compensation or um, a ruling in your favor? It is a little bit more difficult. It is also a little bit more costly. Um, and uh, it is worth noting, um, and uh, you know, some of the lawyers that I talked to did mention this, that most of the state claims do eventually end up in the federal courts anyways. Um, but one of the big problems is that at the state level, you have uh, three years after your firing uh, or after the incident of discrimination uh, to file a lawsuit. At the federal level, it's less than six months. And a lot of people, you know, after they've been fired, they're scrambling to, you know, find a new job or get unemployment benefits or, you know, get back on some sort of health insurance. And, you know, they're not often thinking of immediately filing a lawsuit. And, you know, probably most people don't realize that you have fewer than six months to, to file a federal claim. But now that's your only option. Yeah, so that's a sort of interesting angle of this. And I think one that's been sort of overshadowed by the whole LGBT uh, discrimination and the bathroom angles that have been sort of prominent in the, the news cycle. But this might even have more sweeping effects for folks who think that, you know, well, I'm not gay or transgender, so this doesn't really affect me. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to switch over to uh, Andy now. Uh, you've been covering sort of the local reaction from this. I mean, I guess this, this special session was originally built as kind of a Charlotte versus the legislature thing. And uh, some of the uh, municipal is up closer to, to us here in Raleigh hadn't really had much uh, input into it. Um, what, what's been the reaction from some of the local officials you've talked to around here? Uh, they have taken their time to react uh, since, I guess, the bill was signed into law last Wednesday or Thursday. And the mayor was the first to speak out publicly 
um, Mira Rowley, right? Yeah, uh, correct. Uh, Nancy McFarland came out with a statement on Monday saying, reaffirming her support for the transgender community. Yeah. Now, that statement didn't say anything critical of the new bill. It said yeah, that... She didn't, did she even mention it at all, or was it just, you know, we, we support transgender people here in Raleigh? Well, what I found interesting was that while uh, the governor at the press conference you attended um, this week said that, uh, you know, cities would get to keep and enforce the uh, non-discrimination ordinances that they already had on the books. Um, McFarland in her statement said that the city attorney with Raleigh is still trying to figure out the implications. Um, they have not come out with a, you know, uh, some sort of legal stance uh, for the city. But no, she did not mention House Bill 2 in any sort of um, positive or negative light. She was very careful um, in saying that, you know, we support the transgender community. Uh, everybody's welcome. Um, and then left it at that. Otherwise, the council members and uh, city leadership has been relatively quiet. Yeah. So uh, for folks who haven't really heard much about what not Raleigh's non-discrimination law is, assuming it's in, invalidated, which I guess they haven't really established yet. What, what was on the books in Raleigh in terms of non-discrimination? What did it actually do? Um, it said, uh, and I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but in their contracts um, with, when, you know, when you put something out to bid yeah, for a contract so with the city. Construction um, firms, whoever is doing business with the city, yeah. Exactly. They were required, uh, or I guess banned, um, prohibited from discriminating against a number of different groups from, you know, um, you know, based on race, based on uh, sexual orientation, based on um, gender identity, and a number of things. Uh, so it's possible that, you know, the city potentially now, if, if its ordinance is nullified by House Bill 2, um, wouldn't have any say in who its contractors uh, you know, subcontract with, you know, they could subcontract with people who do discriminate. And now I know that's far, far down the ladder and out of the public eye, but it's something that still yeah. affects real people. Yeah. I mean, they, these employees who are essentially paid with city tax dollars, uh, even though they're getting paid indirectly, currently would have certain protections that, that under this they've uh, essentially lost and they're uh, become just like any other private sector employee whose boss can, you know, do just about or a number of things, at least under the law. Right. That's my understanding of it. Yeah. And one of the things I've, I found interesting was uh, a couple of uh, folks on the uh, sort of pro HB2 side had pointed out uh, how Raleigh handles this whole bathroom issue um, and that uh, Raleigh has actually had a specific law that's sort of the opposite of what the Charlotte ordinance said about bathroom usage and which gender uses which bathroom. Tell me a little about that and sort of uh, what what that was actually looking like. That's right. On Wednesday, there's a local conservative blogger who um, I guess went digging through the city's uh, you know code book and found uh, some rules that were written in 1959 that are very similar to what the legislature passed and the governor signed. You know, they say that if you're a man, you must use a uh, a, man, a men's bathroom. If you're a woman, you, a woman, you must use a women's bathroom. Um, and about it, in 1959, no one was really contemplating the concept of transgender. It was more of a, I guess, sort of a design geared towards 
sexual predators maybe something like that i mean i'm sure we could all ask our grandparents and <laughs> they would say they might still have some questions about what that means but yeah. uh right and so uh that prompted at least one legislator i think dean arp yeah uh, dean arp who's from i think union county he's he's Nowhere near Raleigh, but suddenly he's tweeting about uh, Raleigh's city ordinance on bathrooms. That's right. Uh, and he's saying, you know, why I, – I don't remember his exact tweet, but it essentially asked why people weren't boycotting Raleigh and why Raleigh, you know, a city run by uh, uh, Democrats and people who are unaffiliated but lean more liberal, you know, isn't getting this negative attention. Um, and so uh, it was hard to get – people on the phone to talk about that but essentially um when i did get the spokesperson for raleigh on the phone he said look this ordinance is old it's decades and decades old and the non-discrimination ordinance that we passed in 2014 uh, better speaks to the city's current practices and its attitude and its culture and so you know this this old ordinance from 1959 that has this language similar to House Bill 2 is essentially not enforced. And I got the sense from uh, the one council member, Marianne Baldwin, um, who I spoke with, that, you know, it's possible some people didn't even know about it. Yeah. She called it outdated. Yeah. So it's uh, uh, one that I think was flying flying below the radar. Um, Do you think there'll be any effort to to repeal it or do they just sort of view it as a non-issue because it's not being enforced anyway? Well, the city's spokesman said that it has been flagged or marked um, in the recodification process, which started last fall, for amendments, which I would assume uh, would mean that, you know, they're going to change it or just repeal it altogether. Yeah, Um, but they're looking at sort of broader at the city code and whether there's outdated stuff that they need to be pulling out of the books. Exactly. That's what I mean by recodification process. Um, So this is one of many uh, old uh, ordinances and rules that the city would uh, change or update or just get rid of altogether. And um, Baldwin at least said that uh, she wanted to do that. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to jump back to Will and, and some of the fact-checking on this. You did one this week on Title IX, uh, which has been sort of a big issue in this. I've seen both sides making the claim, uh, the, the sort of opponents seem to claim that uh, Title IX funding is going to be eliminated, so federal funding uh, under Title IX might be jeopardized by this because you're saying where transgender students can and cannot use bathroom and locker facilities, and then the folks who are supporting it say, no, 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 that's not true. There's not been any sort of loss of funding anywhere else that's done anything similar. What are, what's what's the truth in that? Yeah, this is one we uh, fact-checked, and we actually gave a, a half-true uh, to the governor's claim that there was absolutely no threat to Title IX um, because uh, he, he was citing a uh, federal judge from Virginia. But the reason why we gave it half-true is that doesn't really tell the whole story. Um, there was one federal judge in Virginia who did say that, um, uh, you know, s- schools that, um, you know, I guess you could say discriminate against transgender people. Yeah, by saying that violate, if you're right. a transgender female but still biologically male, you need to go to you the have locker to use, room. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Um, it, one, one judge did say that, no, that does not violate Title IX. However, that case is still under appeal, um, and there are also um, some questions about the, uh, the judge's uh, conduct and impartiality in that case as well. Um, it has been the opinion of the Obama administration since around – 
2011, 2012, that Title IX does in fact protect transgender students. And there have been numerous school districts um, in Illinois and California that come to mind that have indeed changed their policies after the threat of Title IX funding. It's important to note that no school has actually ever lost Title IX funding, um, but that's always because, you know, when they're threatened with the loss of it, they tend to comply and don't challenge it. The The court cases that actually challenge it are few and far between, which is why this uh, Virginia one that the governor cited is so interesting. Um, yeah, it's and actually, the governor jumped in on that case long before we were having this debate about a special session. It was kind of a, an issue that none of us really noticed uh, when it uh, came across the, the news cycles, and then the governor uh, wanted North Carolina to join uh, join on the case and sign as a supporter, of the, I, I guess, backing Virginia's claim that they didn't have to make accommodations for this person. And then he, he started the battle with Roy Cooper over bathrooms, trying to get Roy Cooper to join in. Cooper does not join in, just sort of it was a preview of what we've seen on the, the political side of, of this whole thing with the bill. Exactly. As best I understand it, that effort was actually led by the uh, South Carolina Attorney General. Um, yeah, he was trying to get case, other states to join yeah. and, and sort of make the case against the Obama administration. Yeah, and there were, I think there were a total of four states where the attorneys general signed briefs, you know, backing up the Virginia School District. Um, but like you said, uh, Roy Cooper uh, declined to... Uh, to file a brief on behalf of the entire state. So um, in addition to those uh, four states that are in, also uh, Pat McCrory signed a brief just as governor, um, and so did uh, the governor of Maine, uh, Paul LePage. Um, so yeah, that um, that was kind of in a, an early precursor, I guess you could say, to this whole current fight. And it uh, the case has been heard by the Court of Appeals, which is the same federal Court of Appeals that covers North Carolina. So... Um, but they have not yet released their ruling. It's expected any day, from what I understand, from talking uh, with the ACLU, who represents the transgender student in that case. Um, and so whenever that happens, it, it'll probably be big news for North Carolina on, you know, just how how scared we should or shouldn't be about yeah. losing this kind so, of So, yeah, I guess the, the answer funding. to, you know, who's right on this is just stay tuned and see what the court does. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, Craig Jarvis is uh, joining us as well. He's been covering a lot of the the HB two stuff. Uh, you want to jump in on this this topic? Yeah, my yeah. apologies for being late, and I hope we didn't touch on this. But I just wanted something occurred to me on all this is the intensity of the backlash or the kind of a double wave of backlashes that came so fast. I mean, it happened uh, pretty quickly. Admittedly, the special session did. But uh, almost instantly, there was this, you know, of course, the LGBT community, and then this massive business reaction that just came out uh, and just kept growing. But then there was a kind of a backlash to that, I think. If you listen to the talk radio shows, if you looked on Twitter, there was the uh, kind of the equivalent of the uh, right wing uh, uh, feeling that this was um, that this was an unfair. The media was 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 not uh, explaining it correctly. Uh, so th- all this leaves me to wonder how much of a middle ground is there? Are there, there are, are certainly people out there who don't know much about the transgender issue, you know, be, you know, from 1959 on. I mean, nobody's really thought about it till pretty recently. Uh, and they're, they're uncomfortable with this bathroom thing. They're not, they don't want to be called bigots. Uh, and how, how, how that plays into some of the, uh, 
uh, the general election races, particularly the governor's race, is yeah. what I'm kind of curious and about. And that was what was interesting to me. I think one of the most interesting co- interviews I've done this week was with Representative Ken Goodman. He's a Democrat. He's more of a moderate pro-business Democrat, heads a group called the Main Street Democrats. He voted for the bill along with uh, 10 other Democrats. Uh, and when I talked to him yesterday, he was kind of, one, he sounded really surprised by the business blowback. He mm-hmm. really did not see see this level of opposition coming to this. And, and truthfully, I don't know that even the advocates saw this level of opposition. No, when I, I talked to the I human rights so. campaign folks yesterday, they said this was unprecedented in the history of the LGBT rights movement yeah. to have this many big name businesses signing on and opposing a particular law, particularly at the state level, not even at the national level. Yeah, and they did it so fast. And then the one that struck me yesterday was Braeburn, a pharmaceutical company, which a week before the bill was signed, announced this $25 million expansion. A week after the bill, they're saying, we're not sure we're going to do it. And that that's a serious problem. Yeah, so I mean, that's, uh, it'll be interesting to see whether these businesses come through with that. I mean, I think the uh, if, if you're a Republican lawmaker at this point, you're thinking, all right, Brayburn, all right, NCAA, you're, you're talking a strong game on this, but are, are you really going to pull the trigger on, on actually – taking these jobs away from us, taking right. these events away from us. And, and I think it kind of remains to be seen, um, you know, whether there'll really be uh, an economic impact or whether there's a lot of talk. I agree um, with that. It's really easy for corporate spokesmen to stand up there and say we're against bad things. Yeah. And uh, where's, you know, do they put their money yeah. where their mouth is? But it'll be interesting to see what the, the sort of the political fallout from all of this is. I, jumping back to, to Ken Goodman, was, uh, when I talked to him, he said, you know, he, th- he thinks the bathroom aspect of this has a strong support in his district. He's got several rural counties along the South Carolina border. There are probably not even very many openly transgender people down there. So for yeah. folks to hear sort of the, um, uh, the supporters of this, they uh, people in these rural areas feel like that makes sense. Um, but Goodman feels like the other provisions were not necessary. He doesn't want to take away local powers. He doesn't think, you know, non-discrimination or workforce discrimination things should be curbed. And he wants to see that repealed. He wants to bring everybody together and find some sort of common ground on all this. And I'm not sure with the level of heat and the rhetoric on both sides that there's going to be the ability to do that or if you know, people like soon. Ken Goodman are yeah. just going to be off in a you know, pod of their own trying to uh, make this work out for everybody and, and nobody else is really willing to compromise. Yeah, there's a lot going on in that, what, five-page bill. Uh, but I, I agree, I don't see anybody jumping to make it's like a real hot potato right now any part of it yeah and when i talked to some of the republican lawmakers yesterday for a story i had in in today's paper about the uh the fallout of all of it um uh, they seem to only be willing to make minor tweaks, if that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, you don't really hear anything from the House Speaker. Uh, Phil Berger's office said, uh, absolutely not, we're not touching this thing. A couple people said they'd make sort of technical changes, but nothing substantive to, mm-hmm. to what the bill does and doesn't do. So uh, the lines have been drawn in the, the sand on this one, and it's it's hard to see uh, kind of where it'll all uh, shake out in the end. Um but, uh, yeah, that kind of uh, covers it on, on most of the angles of HP2 that we've heard this week. I think we're going to continue to hear more from companies. We're going to continue to um, hear folks uh, speak out on both sides of this. I think there are protests scheduled throughout the weekend. Um, Values Coalition is going to have more prayer vigils uh, in support of the law. Uh, so this this is not going anywhere, and I think it's going to continue to be an issue going into the the election year. Craig, you've been you've been working on a story that I think we'll we'll get to read on Sunday about uh, sort of the whole election fallout. Do you, you see this as being big in the governor's race in general um, as we go closer to November, or is it possible it could die out and go back to the issues that they were talking about before? My personal feeling, and I'm never right about these things. Uh, 
is that uh, this, this, it'll die out. I mean, it's, it's a long way. It's eight months to the election. There's been a number of controversies that have followed McCrory all, during his three years in office. This one, uh, you know, I, it certainly isn't going to hurt him with his base. Uh, or is there going to be some residual concern? Uh, he, he's, he certainly tried to present himself as a middle-of-the-road consensus builder, pro-business guy. If he's got businesses leaving the state, that kind of undercuts that argument, which I'm sure uh, Roy Cooper will exploit. But yeah, I think they already are. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah. Actually, it's been relentless. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the amount of press releases I've gotten, I think every time there's a single minor development in this, I get press releases from yeah. whichever side's case it seems to benefit, yeah. whatever the statement was or the, the company that, that came out on one side of this issue or the other. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, lots to follow. I'm sure we'll be talking about this uh, more in the, the weeks ahead, and hopefully sometime in the next couple of weeks we can get in a different topic on, on Domecast. But uh, this has certainly been dominating the, the news cycle and our coverage for the last couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to take a quick break now, and we'll be back in a moment with Headliners of the Week. Stay tuned. Every two minutes, an American is sexually assaulted. Be the someone who gives their time. Be the someone who lends an ear. Be the someone who takes a step. This is Christina Ricci with RAIN, asking you to join the fight against sexual violence and volunteer in your community. Log on to RAIN.org, that's R-A-I-N-N dot O-R-G, to learn how you can be the someone. Welcome back to this week's Domecast. I'm Colin Campbell from the News and Observer, and now it's time for... Who is your headliner of the week? Who is your headliner of the week? Who is your headliner of the week? Head, 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 headliner of the week. Thank you, Rapping Andy Curlis. Uh, and we'll jump into headliners of the week this week, uh, starting with uh, Will Doran of the News and Observer. Will, who is your choice for headliner of the week? My choice is Governor Pat McCrory. Because of all of the HB2 blowback, um, he did not ask for this special session. In fact, he declined to call the legislature into special session. Um, they used a uh, you know rarely used provision to do it anyways. Um, but now he has been kind of the you know the national face of this in what has honestly been one of the bigger national news stories of the past ten days. And you know there's been a lot of blowback and a lot of publicity and. Um, I just think he is a uh, very natural choice. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's been interesting to watch sort of his reaction to this. You know, I went to this press conference on Monday that wasn't even really supposed to be a press conference. He was at a, a groundbreaking for a new pharmaceutical plant all the way out in Clayton. And uh, you could tell he was surprised to see the amount of media. And they, they rallied all the cameras, and some of them had come all the way from Charlotte just to ask him a question about House Bill 2. Uh, and as he rounded the corner and saw all the cameras, he let out an audible, oh, my God. And you could tell he kind of was unprepared for the press conference. At one point, he said he was being blindsided by a question and, and didn't know the answer. But I've also seen sort of his his reaction evolve since then. Um, he's, I think he's sort of uh, come to accept, in a sense, perhaps, that he's the public face of this. He's been on Fox News and a couple other cable channels in the last couple days uh, and, and has sort of allowed himself in, in many respects to become the public face of this. So uh, even though it wasn't uh, the, the issue perhaps he would have chosen to be on you know Fox News Channel for, um, he's accepting their invitation at the very least and, and trying to make the case. Um, that, that this is the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. All right, so Pat McCrory is uh, in the hat for uh, Headliner of the Week. We'll uh, turn next to Craig Jarvis of the News and Observer. Craig, who's your Headliner of the Week? It's uh, Attorney General Roy Cooper. He was in the news this week, criticized for not uh, saying he would not defend uh, the state against the, a lawsuit that's been filed over the uh, HB2 
LGBT issue. Uh, interestingly, also this week, uh, some news came out in a case that the Attorney General uh, did uh, did pursue all the way to the Supreme Court. The uh, 2013 law requiring uh, narrated ultrasounds if you want to get an abortion. Uh, he did fight that until it became a losing battle. And uh, and uh, the state ended up paying a million dollars in attorney's fees on that one. And that little uh, figure just came out this week. Yeah, that was one story that seemed to get overshadowed by all the, the HB2 news. But it certainly did. it's big for the, the state to have to pay that much of a penalty a for a law of, that is passed. Uh, yeah. And, and that gives sort of, I think, will give the Democrats fodder to say, yeah. you know, these laws, not only do we think that they're wrong, but um, they're costly to the state because, they, yeah. you know, they're going to get ruled unconstitutional, even if a Democratic attorney general is yeah. jumping in to, to defend them. Yeah, and it goes to Cooper's point that part of his role is to advise, you know, when do you pull the plug? How far do you go with the case? And uh, but it's become a, a political uh, football, of course. Yeah, and, if, and he's gotten a lot of flack this week for not being willing to f- defend uh, House Bill Two. Um, so it'll be interesting to see the the fallout from this. He's had to walk a hell of a tightrope on all of this. Is yeah. uh, you know for the longest time he didn't want to weigh in on the Charlotte bathroom thing. Right. Um, he weighs in on this bill saying it's discriminatory and has, has been very vocally opponent opposed to it, but still hasn't said what he thinks about transgender people mm-hmm. and which bathroom they should use. And at some point, I guess he'll be called on to um, sort of directly answer that but they've been managing to dodge that now because he's got to I mean he wants to make hay off this against the governor but Mm -hmm. it's hard to do that without alienating some of the folks who might actually agree with the governor but might be on the politically on the fence and other issues anyway so yeah Roy Cooper uh, definitely a candidate for headliner of the week Um, and we'll turn last uh, but not least to Andy Spay of the News and Observer Uh, Andy who's your uh, first time uh, jumping in for headliner of the week I'll go with NCAA president Mark Emmert Earlier this week, he said that, uh, going back to HB2 again, um, that uh, the NCAA would consider uh, the new law uh, as a negative thing when deciding which cities across America could host the NCAA basketball tournament, which we all know and love. Um, You know, this year Raleigh was a host. Um, They've been a host many times, as has Greensboro and Charlotte. Um, And... I picked this for the headline of the week because, you know, there might be a lot of people out there who say, you know, well, this transgender bathroom thing, it doesn't affect me. You know, I I don't really care about it. Um, you know, whatever the Republicans want or whatever the Democrats say, you know, that's what I believe in. But when it affects North Carolina basketball and whether yeah, that's or not— That's the holy grail in this state. It is. It is the holy grail. You know, and I grew up going to, you know, basketball games uh, at Duke. State, Carolina, um, seeing some tournament games. I was there when Duke lost to Mercer. It was terrible, uh, I say as a Duke fan. But if our, you know, what, 14 million people in this state couldn't go to a basketball game in March, that that might be when you see the real pushback. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, and of course, there's a huge economic benefit to having the games here. You know, you get seen on national TV. You get all these people coming in who, who want to watch the games from from out of state. Of course, and when I, when I say the real pushback, I just mean like the grassroots people who really who, don't care about LGBT issues. Right, right. I think you know, like you said, that's the holy grail. And if you mess with basketball, you mess with North Carolina. You know, it's that's what people care about. Yeah, I think that, you know, if that truly, uh, NCAA really goes out, that may end up being a, a tipping point in all this. Uh, 
So thanks, Andy, for that. So we've got uh, as the choices for headliners of the week, uh, Mark Emmert of NCAA, uh, Pat McCrory, and Roy Cooper. Um, and uh, I think uh, Andy probably made the strongest case here, uh, this being North Carolina, this being the, the you know, the – uh, great home of basketball that it is. I think we have to go with with Mark Emmert and the NCAA as, as this week's headliner of the week because I think that that may be one of the the biggest headline or at least the most concerning headline for a lot of folks out of uh, all the the different angles of, of fallout we've uh, we've seen on this. So uh, Andy, congratulations and congratulations to the NCAA for uh, for being our headliner of the week this week. That's all the time we've got for Domecast uh, this time around. Uh, be sure to check us next week and uh, we will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com. 